have your Bibles, please open with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. If you are able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. And now the written word of the living God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city, to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. Pray with me, please. Father, as we now approach your word, remove every distraction from this place. Maybe things that's on our mind coming up later today or tomorrow, things of the week. Remove every physical or mental, spiritual distraction that we might focus upon the preaching of thy word and fill us, Lord, fill this place and exalt yourself through the preaching of your word. May we be encouraged and challenged by it, Father. Feed us, Lord, we pray, through the preaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, today is the last Sunday of Advent. And as the Averils reminded us just a moment ago, we've kind of walked through many of the Old Testament offices and roles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I thought as we start this sermon today, as we kind of finish things up, let's review what we've talked about. Let's review where we have been. Three weeks ago, we looked at the office of prophet. And what we learned is that a prophet is a mediator between God and man. And that the function of a prophet was to stand with the authority of God behind him and declare the word of the Lord to man. And he would say, thus saith the Lord. He was speaking on behalf of God 
to the people. But we learn that in the Old Testament, the prophets were just the subject of the sentence. They were never the objects of the sentence. They would speak to the people about one to come, but that prophet was never the one. He would always speak of the one to come. And that was, that's what makes Jesus different from all the Old Testament prophets. See, just like all those prophets, he declared the word of the Lord to the people, but he was declaring about himself. Not only was he the subject of prophecy, he was the object of prophecy. The Old Testament prophets were the revealers. Christ was the revealer, and he was the revealed. Two weeks ago, Daryl preached to us about the shepherd, that Christ was the the shepherd of God's people. But we looked first in the Old Testament. Do you remember that? At Psalm 23, where David says what? The Lord is my shepherd. But we fast forwarded to the New Testament in the book of John. And in the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, Jesus looks at all the people and says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So yes, the Old Testament talked about God being the shepherd, but Jesus says, I am that shepherd. When David was writing Psalm 23, he was actually talking about me. And then last week, we looked at the office of priest. And again, just like the prophet, the priest was a mediator between God and man. And while the prophet had the authority of God behind him speaking to man, the priest turned around the other way, didn't he? Because with the testimony of the people behind the priest, the priest came to God. And what did he do? He offered sacrifices for the people. We said last week, he always had something in his hands, didn't he? His hands were never empty when he walked into the Holy of Holies. And what was in his hands in the Old Testament? The blood of the bulls and the goats and the calves. So the priest represented man to God, but had something in his hands. He was the subject of the priesthood. But Jesus Christ, as our priest, was both the subject and the object of the priesthood. Just like those Old Testament priests, the Lord Jesus Christ, representing man, comes to God. But what's in his hands? Absolutely nothing. There was no blood of bulls and goats in his hands. It's because Jesus was the object of the priesthood. In the Old Testament, the object was the bulls and calves. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, I come as the subject, the priest. But then I throw myself on the Holy of Holies. I shed my own blood, Jesus says, not the blood of bulls and calves. Because I, Jesus says, am the object of the priesthood. And we see in all three of those things that Christ fulfills for us the offices of prophet, shepherd, and priest. Today we get to number four. Today we get to that final office of king. In our last sermon, our last sermon of our Advent series, we see that Jesus Christ fulfills for us the office of king. You know, as we look at the Old Testament, So much of the history of God's people was brought under the reign of a single king. It all started with Saul, didn't it? Saul became the first king. 
And then it went to David and to Solomon and many of David and Solomon's descendants, many, many others that were to come. In fact, right here in this New Testament text, the one we just read, it talks about the throne of David. It talks about his kingship. And specifically, it talks about how Jesus came to fulfill the Davidic king. So today, beloved, as we look at this text, I really want you to see three simple points as we go into this text about Jesus being your king. And the first one is this. I want you to see the legacy of our Lord. The legacy of our Lord. Secondly, the kingship of Christ. And then thirdly, I want you to see the meekness of Mary. Again, the legacy of our Lord, the kingship of Christ, and then finally, the meekness of Mary. But let's first look at the legacy of our Lord. We need to see His legacy so that we can see how He indeed is our King. You know, when we talk about legacy, we're talking about family. You know, it's right now the time between Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's that so many of us get together with family. I dare say today in this congregation, some of you have your parents with you. Some of you have your grandparents with you. There might be cousins or aunts or uncles sitting here in these chairs. People that are not normally usually here, but they're here today. We know that we're missing so many of our congregation today because they're off visiting what? Parents and grandparents. You're visiting family. And when we visit these folks, especially our parents and our grandparents, you know what we're really seeing? We're seeing our legacy. We're seeing our heritage. We're seeing those people who have gone before us to make a way for us to be here today. So kids, when you spend time with your grandparents... You're spending time with your legacy. You're spending time, indeed, with your family tree. But as we talk about family tree in the Bible, what we got to remember is that Jesus Christ is 100% man, which means Jesus Christ also has a legacy. He also has a heritage. Jesus has a family tree, and the Bible teaches us what that is. You see, for Jesus, it all started the same place that it started with us, for his humanity. It started with Adam and Eve in the garden, our first parents. And the Bible talks about that specifically in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 18. We all remember the story. Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit. They had fallen short of the glory of God. They had ran and hid from the Lord. But the Lord found them, and he began to talk to them. And when Adam was confronted by God, what did he do? Pointed the finger, didn't he? She made me do it. And when Eve was confronted by God, what did she do? Pointed the finger at Satan. The serpent beguiled me, Lord. And then right there in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God starts speaking to the serpent. He speaks to Satan. And he tells Satan these words. It's the first gospel ever given in the Bible. He tells Satan 
Satan, one day the seed of woman's going to come and you are going to try to bruise him. You're going to try to destroy him. In fact, you're going to try to bruise his heel, what the Bible says. But ultimately, the seed of woman is going to come and crush your head. Let me ask you a question. What would be worse, if someone stepped on your heel and crushed it, or if someone crushed your head? It would hurt, right, the heel, but it wouldn't be life-ending, life-threatening. But if someone crushed your head, that's, that's going to end your life. And the Bible says in Genesis 3.15, Satan, you're going to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but one day he's going to come and crush your head. And right there it started. The Bible started anticipating the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who would come ultimately from man and woman, being descended down to crush the head of that old serpent. Later on in the Bible, we get to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, we see the family tree start expanding for the Lord Jesus Christ because God tells Abraham, he says, Abraham, through you and your seed, all nations will be blessed. Jews and Gentiles, all nations will be blessed. And we pick up our New Testament book of Galatians chapter 3, and Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to us, Abraham was talking about Jesus. Because Jesus is that promised seed of Abraham. He would be the one to come, and through him, everyone would be blessed. And then we see Abraham started having children, didn't he? Abraham, the Bible says, had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had Judah. And Jesus, the Bible says, would come through Judah because we know Christ to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. Even further, we get to Moses. And the Bible says that God gave Moses the law. And Moses says, we read this three weeks ago, Moses says that Jesus would be a prophet just like Moses. He would be one from among the people, the one who declared the word of the Lord to the people. And just like the priest that was in the law, Jesus would come and be that priest. Now remember, the first high priest was who? It was Aaron, Moses' brother. And just as Aaron came into the Holy Holies and offered sacrifices to the Lord, Christ, the Bible says, came into this heavenly holy of holies for us. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood obtaining eternal redemption. We learned last week that the Old Testament was just a shadow. Jesus was the reality. And then we get to King David. We read verses like Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, that says this. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. What does that mean? And who's Jesse? We remember Jesse from the Word of God. He was David's dad. Jesse had David. Jesse had a lot of boys. Do you remember the story when Samuel came over to Jesse's house? And boy, Jesse lined up all his boys one by one, didn't he? He must be king. He must be king. He must be king. And Samuel said, nope, 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 nope. Do you have any more sons? Yeah, I got one more. But he's out in the field. He's tending those sheep. Certainly it wouldn't be him. Bring him in. Who was it? 
It was David, the shepherd, who would one day become a king. You see, Jesus, the shepherd king. David, we know, started out as this young shepherd boy right there in Bethlehem. And we know that he became ultimately one of God's greatest warriors. And we see right here in this text today, right here in Luke chapter 1, look at verse 27. It says, To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of who? David. Of the house of David. So what is the Bible doing for us? It is giving us the legacy of our Lord. It is giving us the heritage of Jesus Christ, that Christ comes from Adam and Eve to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, to David, all the way down to Joseph. And Luke, the author of this book, picks it up and he teaches us the very rich heritage of our Lord. But now as we move to our second point, to the kingship of Christ, let's pick up right where we left off. Because we left off with King David. So as we pick up with the kingship of Christ, let's now look at what the Bible says about David. Before we do that, let's reread verses 31 through 33. The Bible says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom, the Bible says, there will be no end. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is the story of David. Again, the young man who started out as a shepherd only to end up the warrior king. We remember what the Old Testament people said about David and Saul. Saul killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And ultimately, David became king of Israel. Now, just a moment ago, our brother Daryl stood right here at this pulpit and he read from 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you're not familiar with that text, it's, it's at a time when David was already king and God was using the servant, his servant Nathan, to make a covenant with David. Let me read to you just a portion of what Daryl read a moment ago because it plays into this text. Here's what that text said. I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body? And I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Your throne will be established forever. Beloved, in that Old Testament passage that Daryl read just a moment ago, God was promising that there would be someone who comes from the line of David. Someone who would be the eternal king. One who sits on the throne forever. His kingdom would never end. Who would it be? Well, David had a son, didn't he? His name was Solomon. And Solomon became king. And Solomon sat on the throne. But did Solomon reign forever? He didn't. He died. 
Well, after Solomon, there was another king. His name was Rehoboam. He was the Solomon's son. Would he be the one? Would he sit on the throne forever? He didn't reign forever, did he? He died. After David, after Solomon, after Rehoboam, the Bible says there were many, many more kings that came and reigned after them, but they all died. So who is this covenant pointing to? Who would be the king who would come from David who would sit on the throne forever? Look at the text one more time. Verse 32. And he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Do you see it? Do you see how Jesus Christ fulfills 2 Samuel chapter 7? In fact, the words are so close from one text to the other, it's simply amazing. You know, some of the most amazing texts in the Bible is when a New Testament writer appeals to an Old Testament passage and he applies that passage to Jesus. For Jesus would be the one to sit on the throne forever. Jesus' kingdom would never end. It wasn't Solomon. It wasn't Rehoboam. Yes, they came from David and they sat on the throne for a while. But the promise was fulfilled in Jesus, the son of David, the son of God. So we see specifically how the legacy of our Lord speaks to the kingship of Christ. For Jesus is that promised son of David. But the difference is, like we looked at the differences in prophet and shepherd and priest, there's differences here with king. David was a temporary king. But Christ is an eternal king. Christ does not have to deal with the limits of mortality like David and Solomon and Rehoboam. Christ is infinite, eternal, and forever. Here's what Paul says about him. He says to Timothy, he says, Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who alone dwells in unapproachable light. As Katie read just a few moments ago, Revelation says, on his robe and on his thigh, is the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Beloved, we see that the legacy of our Lord leads to the kingship of Christ. And then finally from this text, we see Mary. And what I'm going to call the meekness of Mary. Look back with me at verses 34 to 38. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
You know, throughout the Scriptures in the New Testament, there's some specific times and ways that God comes to make an announcement to His people. And when He makes that announcement, many times many of those people are afraid. They have fear in their hearts. Think about it. Luke chapter 2, when the angels came and spoke to the shepherds, what does the Bible say happened? It says that the angels appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. They were filled with fear. At the resurrection, when the ladies saw what was going on, the rock being moved, when they saw the angels, when they saw Jesus, it says that they were filled with fear. Even this passage, if you look back earlier in this passage, um, in verse 29 of this passage, it says that Mary was greatly troubled. But in every single one of these passages, we see God's goodness come through to all three of these people because in every one of those passages, God immediately comes and He calms their fears. Do you remember what he said to the shepherds? The first thing the, that God said to the angels, to the shepherds, fear not, because I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, peace on earth, goodwill to men. At the resurrection, when the ladies were filled with fear and they encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what he told them? Don't be afraid. Right here. In this passage, when Mary was greatly troubled, what did the angel tell her? Mary, don't be afraid. Isn't that awesome? That the first thing God wants to do is calm the fears of his people. It's a terrible thing to be afraid. And God knows that. And the first thing he wanted to do in all those situations was to calm the fears of his people. And in this section, he tells Mary, Mary, don't be afraid. You're favored by God. There's something great and glorious getting ready to happen. And God shows his compassion. And then, as the text says, the angel delivers this great message to Mary. And Mary asks the question. She asks the question that makes sense to every single one of us, doesn't it? She asks, how will this be? God, what are you saying? How will this be? She's saying, Lord, I've never known a man. How am I going to have a son? And God responds to her, verse 35. Here's what God says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. What a situation for Mary, huh? Ladies, think about that one with me. Consider the doubts, the fears, the questions that might be on your mind when an announcement like that comes into your lives. But what did Mary do? One commentator said it this way. Listen to this. He said, Mary knew that being with child at this particular time before her marriage, it would expose her to painful criticism, to ridicule. But Mary did not ask for a detailed analysis. Mary didn't argue with God. 
Mary did not debate. She simply obeyed God. As the text below says, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The commentator says that Mary placed herself, body and soul, at the disposal of God, the God who loved her, by whose means this promised child was coming. And he was bestowing on her immeasurable blessing. Beloved, what does this teach us? This teaches us that God requires our faithfulness, even when we don't understand everything. Many times that is a hard lesson for us to learn. Because I guarantee you that Mary had a questions a mile long, just like every one of us would have questions a mile long. We can only sit back and imagine the questions that she would have to write down and ask God. But at that moment, she didn't enter into debate with God. She didn't doubt God. She didn't ask him for a list of details. She humbly submitted to God. And this is an example of meekness. Sinclair Ferguson, if you've ever read any of his books, a great author, he wants to find meekness in one of his books. He said it's notoriously hard to define, but this is what he said it is, that meekness is the humble strength that belongs to the person who has learned to submit to difficulties, knowing that every, in everything God is working for his or her good, and that person has learned to be in gratitude for God's grace and to submit himself or herself to the Lord. And that's exactly what Mary did. A few moments ago, our brother Daryl read from the book of Hebrews chapter 11. You might have listened to that passage and said, what in the world does that passage about Abraham have to do with anything? It was Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 and 9. I'm going to reread that one moment. Because you see the same type of obedience and meekness in Abraham that you do in Mary. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, listen to this, not knowing where he was going. When Abraham went out, he did not know where he was going. He simply obeyed. He simply believed God and obeyed. And just like Abraham, I'm sure Mary didn't have all the answers to all those questions that might have been on her mind. But by faith, she obeyed. Through meekness, she humbled herself to say, hey, this might be a difficult thing for me to do, but Lord, I know you're acting in my best interest. I trust you. I'm yours. And she submitted her life to the plan of God. Beloved, as we conclude this morning, as we sit back and examine this text and all the texts that we've looked at these four weeks of Advent, what we see is that the Old Testament, it's a story. It's a story of God's redemptive work that paves a way through history with markers throughout time pointing us to the fulfillment of one thing. The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. For even today we learned 
that Christ is the seed of the woman who would come to crush the head of that old serpent. Christ was the promised seed of Abraham through whom all nations would be blessed. Christ was a prophet like Moses and a priest like Aaron. Christ was that promised shoot from the stump of Jesse. And Jesus, yes, was the promised Davidic king who would sit on the throne forever, whose kingdom would never end. He's prophet, shepherd, priest, and king. And today, more than anything else on this Christmas Eve, I want you to know that Jesus came and he did all of this for you. He came as a prophet to declare to you the word of the Lord. He came as a shepherd, in a sense, to leave the 99 and to come get you, to search you out, to find you out, to guide you, to lead you, to take his staff and pull you back in. He came as a priest, not only to offer a sacrifice, but offer himself as a sacrifice for you. And he came as a king so that he can sit on the throne of your heart that He can be the King of kings for you, that He can be the Lord of lords for you. I tell you what, this Christmas season, if all you're going to do is to get together with your family and to have good family time, whether it's today, tomorrow, and the days to come, and you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to miss Christmas. That God might even today be calling you to Himself. That everything that we've talked about today in the, in the past few weeks Jesus did because he loved you so much. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Are you following hard after him as your Lord? He did this entire work that you might be saved from your sin. Maybe you're here today and this is the first time you've ever heard anything like this. Maybe you're here today because it's Christmas and you want to be at church on Christmas. If that's you today, I encourage you, see more than just that. See the Jesus who died for your sins and loved you to the uttermost. Confess your sin to him. Run to him. Embrace him as your Savior, as your God. As Mary did, as she humbly submitted herself to the plan of God, humbly submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray with, together as we close.